In today's video, we have an interview with myself and Louis Parkinson. And Louis is a fascinating character. I've known him through the competition climbing circuit in the UK and also as another professional climbing coach. And what I think really makes Louis stand out and one of the primary reasons why I wanted to interview him was that he has a different approach of how he sees climbing performance, climbing training, technique, and really actually life in general as well. So in this interview, we delve, delve through a whole number of different areas of his life. We talk about his early years and how he first came to climbing. We talk about his learning process and how he sees challenge and how and what it is to him and what makes him so good at this kind of challenge thing and what he gets from that. We also talk about micro failures and how this fits into the bigger picture with the process and working towards those goals that we also might have. Again, in that same vein, we talk about the balance of indoors versus outdoors and how both myself and Louis are working with people, how we see that indoors versus outdoors transfer work and what we get from that process. And we also look at how climbing is evolving and coaching as well, where it's going, what we think the future looks like and lots of interesting areas around that. So. I hope you look forward to and enjoy today's episode. I'm going to leave you now with the interview with myself and Louis Parkinson. Don't forget that if you want to get more of this, just click on those subscribe buttons, whether you're listening on our podcast or you're watching over on YouTube. And we will see you again very soon. Okay, hello to everyone who is listening and uh, watching on our combo of podcast, vodcast. Me and Louie were just um, talking about whether we should call this a vodcast with the vodka connotations. <laughs> Today, we have a very special and uh, much-awaited guest by me, um, Louis Parkinson, who hello. is... Yeah, say hello to everyone, uh, Louis, so they can hear you. Hello, folks. Nice, nice to see you. See you. Hey, you. Oh, 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 either. It's all good. Um, and uh, Louis is a uh, a mixture of uh, professional climber, climber, climbing athlete, and uh, climbing coach. He uh, runs up heads uh, catalyst climbing down in London, and he is very well known um, on the in, in, in on the internet in inver inverted commas. Uh, because I think that kind of encompasses online videos, Instagram, Facebook, everything. And uh, if you, what's your what's your handle on? I can never remember it on the internet. Yeah, it's ca at Captain Cutloose is the usual one I go for. By the way, I'd, I'd never describe myself as a professional climber. I, I confidently describe myself as a professional show off and a professional coach. Yes, but professional climber, no, no, not so much. Ah, oh, that's funny. I I very definitely, but I'm quite broad and relaxed about the professional climber elements of it because I see it as being if you make your living predominantly within climbing some kind of manner I call someone a professional climber that's nice I like that definition more yeah I'm a professional climber yeah yeah because it because I think it defines away from people that are amazing climbers but have no capacity whatsoever to make their living out of their climbing that's for me is the differentiation that's a much better differentiation because I actually, yeah, I had it in my head with that much stricter one. We've already already got off on a tangent. I like this. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have this really strict definition in my head of, no, a professional climber. So, okay, I could say I'm a professional uh, or I'm a, a sponsored climber or I'm a professional 
uh, Instagram uh, climber or something like that, but a professional climber, for some reason, this really strict definition in my head was when you are solely a person who is paid to go around the world and just do hard climbs outdoors all the time. That's the only thing a professional climber can mean. But I, I much prefer your definition because I think that, yeah, like you say, allows a lot more flexibility in how much capacity you have to get, actually go out and do stuff all the time. Um, yeah. ooh, okay, I've changed my mind. I am a professional climber. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, no, definitely. You, you definitely get that badge. Get a badge on, wear it with pride. You're all the, you're all the way in, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm... So obviously, as I've said at the start, is that, you know, Louis is a really competent, experienced climber and coach. And I knew of Louis um, through things like Facebook videos, Instagram, first off. But the first time that I ever really came across you in person, as far as I remember, was and it really it really impressed me, um, was down in London. And I think I might be route setting down there. And you were coaching at Vauxhall. And the real reason that you stood out to me was that you were running a coaching session, but you were running it not in your native language. You were running it in French. Oh, yeah. And this really stuck out because I could, like, I understand French well enough to listen to. And I can see that you're not 100% native fluent French. Okay. you go to, you went that extra mile to coach the person you're working with in French because that was the best platform. Tell me about this, Lou. Like, what, what was happening here? So um, it actually worked out really well. I, I, yeah, I'm glad you, I thought I was worried you were going to say, yeah, and you're, you're clearly so good at French. I'm like, no, no, you just don't speak as, <laughs> uh, you speak slightly worse French than I do. I, I don't speak particularly good French. I should, by all rights, because um, my dad is a native Frenchman. Uh, I've had French spoken in my household since I was young annoyingly I think I speak it well enough I sound like I know what I'm doing for a couple of minutes and then I thought oh, sort of people realize, oh he, his grammar's all over the place and uh, but I, I like to practice my French and um I um I I, I, I was very friendly with this uh, the student Didier who was I was coaching um his English is perfectly fine but um we already talked a lot about in the session about um Oh, we were just catching up and talking about other things that we do to challenge ourselves and the idea of challenging ourselves in climbing and how it's something that we should try and seek out. And eventually it got around to us talking about French and I want to be better at it. So he proposed saying, oh, well, how about you You coach me in French from now on and then I'll like give you tips all the way through. So it was kind of, I mean, it's, it's nice that I come off looking really good in this, but it, it was a total back and forth thing of I was teaching in French because he was coaching my French while I coached his climbing. It worked really, really well. Um, so um so yeah really really enjoyed doing that um we um we carried on that way for a good few months ideally the aim was from the start of the lesson till the end of the lesson only in french so part french lesson for me mostly yeah yeah i mean i think as i've i've gone on further years from that and i it feels like that was maybe four years ago or so something like that sounds about right yeah yeah is that i i think i've come more in tune with the the people that I've come across in the climbing industry, whether they're, you know, coaches or climbers or anything like that, is that you can often find these markers like this instant where you took that opportunity to go out of your way, place yourself in an uncomfortable position and consistently do it to apply to improve your French. You, these people, it's down to mindset and how they apply themselves and they see things and they see opportunities and discomfort in a different way and you often see this in high performers i i don't know about you if you agree with this but i feel like it's a mindset thing oh man hugely yeah um i feel like i'm still learning about it all the time but 
I think the, the um, skill that I've always prided myself on is that I, I really, really like challenges. I, um, if, if something is challenging, it, that's the bit I enjoy, the bit that challenges me. Not necessarily, like, obviously, yes, I like the successful bit, but for me, the entire chase, it, but even before climbing, even if it was uh, just like little tasks I was doing or hobbies that I had, I always kind of got pretty obsessive about small things and like trying it again and again and again to try and get better at stuff just because, yeah, I, I like being challenged. I am... Um, Oh, I've, I've got into doing a lot of hanging leg raises at the moment. You know, the, the four ones where you go toes all the way to the bar. Oh, they're horrible, man. Um, but yeah, I was, I'm still learning a little bit about this because um, I kept, I'd do like a, a set of them and then I'd be really tired and I'd sort of sit there for ages going, oh, I'm just going to rest until, I'll just rest a bit longer. I don't know, I'll just rest a bit longer. And then eventually I was, well, am I resting until it's going to feel easy? It's probably not going to feel easy. You're going to have to rest for ages and even then it's not easy. So tried to then switch the mindset to, oh, I want it to be hard. Okay, let's try again. And, and then suddenly I was like, oh yeah, really fun again. I forgot. It's supposed to be a challenge. I like it. So um, yeah, I think this idea of, of, yeah, enjoying being challenged is something that we learn in climbing. Um, and I think maybe it was something that I had a little bit before then, but I think that that was the main thing I found so addictive about climbing was, yeah, this, this, feeling of being challenged constantly. And as soon as you finish on one challenge, you forget about it immediately because there's another challenge to do. Um, I think that's kind of what's kept me fueled for all of the, all of these years of climbing. Uh, I'm guessing you're the same way then. You you enjoy being challenged by stuff, right? Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Um, and it's probably one of the most rewarding parts of climbing. And it's the only thing so far that I've not kind of given up on because I got good at it because I consistently see myself as actually not very good at climbing. So it's nonstop challenging because I can't seem to get to the end point. Whereas I think if I was in the position of being like Adam Ondra and kind of being seen as the world's best, I feel like I almost might actually give up and just stop there because like, oh, I've won the game here. So this isn't challenging anymore. Yeah. Um, so I'm always interested to see where other people's kind of, you know, challenge path came from and their, where, how their mindset fits around that. Oh, so I, was, I was thinking about something else entirely because you, you said something interesting a second ago where just I, I think it's consistent between the two of us. And I wondered if it was more to do with us being coaches and constantly assessing all these different skills and realizing how much we can practice and perfect things. I, I also wouldn't rate myself as a very good climber. I think maybe or however much you and I talk about, no, no, you shouldn't compare yourself to other people and all this stuff. Yeah, we, we compare ourselves to these amazing climbers. And like, oh, I'm I'm not that good at climbing either. Um, do you think that's consistent with just looking at climbing really closely all the time and being coaches? Because we're not bad. We're pretty good climbers. Yeah, um, is it? Uh, ooh, I think it's... I'm not sure that it's directly tied with being a climbing coach, although it is on your daily kind of play every day being reminded of... And, you're, and you have so much contact point with so many very, very good climbers that you yeah. kind of, it reminds you of it. But I wonder whether it's more whether you're a sort of what I call like a journey focused climber. So mm. you're constantly in the process. And so you constantly are like evaluating yourself compared to where this ideal would be in the future. And you're like, well, I'm miles off that thing. So yeah. actually you mark yourself back down and kind of do that. Um, it's almost like a, uh, a humble, humble ham handicap. You kind of knock yourself further and handicap yourself down and go, I'm just not that good. I need to work better, more efficiently, harder, more intelligently, whatever it is. And so that makes you apply yourself 
every day a bit better. I like journey focus. That's a really nice way of putting it. Mm. Rather than always just being about the goal, basically. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought we were probably going to end up talking about this because I, I um, yeah, I don't I don't set specific goals that much. I think yeah, you're exactly right describing it as as journey focused. I um, when I say yeah, oh the um the challenging bits is uh, and like being challenged by these these climbs is what's always been really really motivating for me. Yeah, now, now I think on it, I think that is the only thing that mo- that motivates me about it. Because yeah, I'm sure that there are like climbs that I think of going, oh, it'd be cool to go and do that climb. But um, I've never set any specific goals in competition or climbing outdoors or anything like that. It's always just been, I want to go climbing and be challenged. And, and yeah, here we are many years later. So not the most efficient way to get good at climbing, I don't think. I think goal setting probably does help quite a lot. Mm. Um, but I've had a very enjoyable journey so far, I suppose. Was there any... Um... So you you clearly love challenge and and it kind of came across as something that you relished almost, you know, right from the start. Like uh, when I was kind of researching before this interview today, I saw an interview where you'd said that when you first started climbing, you were just rubbish at it. Like, you know, right from the, you know, the first opening gates. Oh, yeah. Is there a, a, a sort of a common thread that before you started climbing or in other parts of your life, you'd had a practice thing of I love challenges. Did you? Were you always taking on challenges in, I don't know, school or chess or other sports or other hobbies? Was there? So, uh, weirdly, no, I'd say um, sports, no, not really. I, I did try other sports. Like, I remember trying cricket for a bit and hockey, um, but never really enjoyed sports that much. Um, I um, I did spend a lot of time... Um, in, in various different ways, like first, um, when, uh, when I was younger, it was like drawing and painting a little bit. Um, when, uh, with, then when I was like a young teenager, you know, Warhammer with the painting, the figure. Yeah. yeah, man, I, I spent a lot, I sunk a lot of hours into that. Um, and then, uh, and then later still, I got really, really into painting and, uh, and sketching and drawing, but, um, always in this weirdly, um, obsessive way, um, where, cause I, and I found, I found myself doing it with other tasks. And I think I did do this when I was younger that I can apparently like, mess something up and try it again without getting bored for like a really long time, apparently with really menial, boring stuff. So then I'd like apply it to painting and it was like looking really, really closely and getting really involved in the fine details of it. And then like many hours would go by with me just not realizing how absorbed I was into it. And I think it's the same sort of habit, which I then like lapse into when I'm working on a project. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really rubbish at calling it a day and leaving it and like, you know, being smart about a climb and going, oh yeah, I've got like very little skin left. Come back tomorrow. It'll be better. Um, I really, yeah, I really like just the process of trying again and again and again and making small adjustments. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah. Like I say, there, there were like other little things that I used to do. And I remember having loads of little hobbies, like, yeah, all those little like crafty ones, like connects and Meccano and stuff. And I do remember getting like really absorbed for a really long time each day doing them. Um, but then, yeah, I, was, I think I'm quite lucky to have discovered climbing. I was like, oh, this is something that I can like put that energy into, which is also, which I hadn't really had as much in my life up to that point, really social. So I'm, I'm going to meet loads of cool people. Um, and something which is like active and healthy for me because I hadn't really been into sports much either. Um, and still has all of this really cool stuff. And also like visually climbing is cool. Like it looks cool. So it was like a huge, it was a really, really big thing for me to get involved in. I was, I was really, really happy when i first found it yeah uh, do you know after this interview i'll have to send um i've realized we've got another thing in common oh yeah i did a lot of warhammer painting when i was a kid as well i'll send you 
photos of my Warhammer figures. I can't believe that you're into it as well. Yeah, which ones did you go for? I didn't go for the, uh, not the space ones. I went for the, like, um, there were like vampires and well and zombies and, and all this stuff. Did you get those ones as well? Which ones uh, did you So get? I was into Eldar. So they were like... Oh, um, the other one. The, the futuristic elves with ray yeah, guns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice, man. Yeah. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, send me that photo after, man. Yeah, that's funny. So, so you, did you have, did you have any kind of like, because I, I often can like talk about this stuff with, you know, other climbers and trying to get them into this kind of way of thinking and seeing the the rewards from being challenged by some, by people and things like that. And I try and describe it to people to get them into this uh, way of thinking as being, taking every day and trying to give yourself or trying to get yourself to experience micro failures. Mm. So setting out to have tiny, tiny little manageable things that you don't achieve or challenge you or you fail on because it feels so digestible because you know that like in two days time, you probably will do it or in a week's time, you probably will be. So it's more manageable. Is there anything that you've going to try and help other people with on that front? Oh, the idea of just, being okay with multiple failures before you succeed at something. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is one of the skills that I, I, I would say like a, a lot of lessons, it usually comes up. I'll talk about saying that, um, yeah, strength is fun to talk about technique, really cool to talk about mindset in climbing is often the first stumbling block that gets loads of people. It's, it's obviously a huge one for more advanced climbers to work on, but often beginner climbers over and over again, I see it in lessons that, the main mistake they're making is just not being, or not even mistake that they're making, but they're just not as accustomed with the idea of if I try it a million times and nothing happens that I should keep trying. It, it seems really silly. Um, like the, yeah, the logical thing is I fell off it 10 times. I'm now really tired. No, it's obviously not going to happen, <laughs> yeah. but very often, no, break, breaking that cycle and getting them to in, in a climbing circumstance, it's often just that first win and like really clear um, explanation of, ah, just, to make sure we're all aware of this. You really didn't think you were to, you were going to do it. Then you tried it a bunch of times and hooray, you did do it. That is the sort of thing that you can start passing on to other stuff. Um, there's some, uh, I was trying to think of stuff I do outside of climbing. I was like, oh, there's only like one thing I've recommended to other people as like a fun thing to do. I mean, I suppose slacklining would be a big one that I'd recommend to people because that's like a constant it's the same thing as climbing. It's like really addictive to have this feeling of balancing on it. And that's the win that you get from it. But it's really hard to balance on it. So you fall off over and over again. I think slack climbing is a really good one just because of, especially if you have it low to the ground and you start with it nice and easy. It's so accessible in terms of like the energy you expend trying and trying again and how long it takes to set up to try again. It's like no time at all. You can have micro failure after micro failure after micro failure, and you can see that you're steadily getting better and better and better at it. Um, so yeah, slack climbing, I think would be a really nice one for people to try. Um, the other one, which I'm not, I'm not going to show on the camera because it looks really silly, but I got one of those, um, this is for lockdown only. I got one of those reflex balls. Do you, you know these things? So it's like um, a band around your head and then an elastic string connected to a ball and you practice like pow, pow, pow. And it's, it's, it's so much fun. And, um, again, like it, it was, it was really strange that I, um, when, as soon as I tried that in lockdown, in the first lockdown a few months ago, I've been without climbing for ages and hadn't really found anything that was fulfilling this 
this thing of, I, I really like this process of like challenge, 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 try and try again. So um, my partner got me that, that reflex form and immediately, like first time I tried it, I was like, oh, this is the next five hours sorted. I'll, I'll carry on with this for ages. And yeah, it drove her nuts. So um, <laughs> I've, I've got quite good at it. But that again was a really, really nice, fun one to play with. And I think it's, um, now that I think of these two examples uh, of the reflex ball or slacklining, um, anything which is quite enjoyable to actually do, like getting repetitive hits on the ball or bouncing on the slack line, if it's actually quite pleasant to do in itself and it's really easy to like set up and try again if you do fall off, then I think that sort of stuff works really, really well. Is this sort of stuff you meant? Or am I way off the mark? I, I think no, no, that's, that's exactly what you meant. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because yeah. essentially you, you, you get over, and this is the bit where I think, I always try and like remind people to also kind of step away and take the big picture in that over five years, over 10 years, over 20 years, if you have, if you practice this kind of stuff with these micro failures and challenges and things is you develop so much essentially confidence in that system and that process yeah. and the enjoyment out of it that when you come across something further down the line in five years, 10 time, 10 years time, that is genuinely very, very hard for you. And you are having a nightmare for a year, maybe even two years on this thing. You trust the process so much because you've done it for five years, 10 years. Yeah. You kind of keep going. And that's when you see some really special stuff, actually, when people break through these barriers or, you know, performance plateaus or whatever. I completely agree, man. Like I, I was, I think exactly the same thing that often, I assume you, you think about this sort of stuff as well, but there are, there are a lot of climbers who are measurably strong enough and good enough to do all kinds of like, well, groundbreaking stuff, or at least like climbing V15s and 16s quite regularly, but not that many do, proportion to, proportion to how many are like strong enough and good enough potentially. Um, part of it is like being able to get out and do the climbs, uh, having having the access to it. But then I feel like a lot of it is just the, the mindset of it. There's, um, there's a, a very big difference between a climber who is strong enough and good enough to do something, but hasn't necessarily become as familiar with that process that you and I are talking about and having the confidence that that process is going to work. And someone who walks up to a hard boulder being just as strong and capable as the other person, but knows based on all of the experience they've had in the past, building these, uh, these uh, repeated experiences of micro failure, micro failure, and then success. And that one was a bit longer and that one was longer still. And they would walk up to a boulder knowing without any doubt at all, which makes it a lot harder to climb when you're doubting that you are strong enough to do it. They know it without any doubt at all that they are going to do this boulder. And I think that is the slight difference between success and failure in a lot of circumstances, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another question for you is how, how have you found the um, – because you, you, you live down in London. Um, you predominantly climb indoors on, you know, plastic PU, PE holds, um, yeah. you know, bored at home at the moment, is how have you found the um, balance between indoor and outdoor rock and that transfer process for you as a climber? Because I think even more so than me, you've got a, a heavier balance for indoor stuff just because of being in London and it being your job and being in indoor walls a lot. What's, it, what's that process, process look like for you? So, um, so, uh, okay. So the whole like progression into outdoor climbing for me was, yeah, quite tricky. I think I'd climbed for, uh, okay. So I, yes, I'd climbed outdoors a couple of times. Like I went on a trip once 
and I must have been doing like the easiest of trad grades when I was like, uh, this is probably in my first six months of climbing or something. Um, but other than that, I don't think I've been outdoors on rock really at all until a good six or seven years into my climbing. Um, she's like, yeah, really, no, no outdoor climbing is not not that common, I don't think. So, for, and I think the longer it went without me going outdoors and with everyone else saying, oh, it's really difficult, you'll enjoy it. So I was like, oh, I do like the chance, but I also do quite like the process that I'm in. This one's familiar. I'm used to like the repeated experience that I'm having here. That's quite nice. Um, and uh, so, yeah, first time I went outdoors, got my ass kicked. And then same thing for the second and the third and the fourth time. Um, I think everyone usually has a similar thing that um, the holds aren't as obvious and they're usually smaller and it's scary and the grades are hard. Um, so, um, so it took, uh, it, but it, it quickly, I think once I got past my ego would be the thing. Uh, Cause I was out there like, I don't, uh, I think, um, yeah, I was out with friends. I'm used to being like, oh, we climb indoors together. I'm the strong one. I enjoy being good at this. And then we went outdoors like, oh, I am the worst at this by a long way. Um, yeah, that, that kind of sucked. Uh, but then after a couple of sessions, like, what? this is just getting in my way of being better at this. So managed to, again, just get into the pattern of, oh, yeah, okay. I, I enjoy being challenged by this. I'll learn. It's like a whole new learning curve that I had just been blindsided by. But great, I guess, learn all this stuff again. Cool. Um, so yeah, it took a good few years to feel like I was in any way as comfortable on rock as I was indoors. Um, now I do feel a fair bit more comfortable, um, as in like, I feel like I can climb with a similar fluidity and confidence as I do indoors when I'm on a rock just above, above a pad. Um, but um, in terms of actually how often I do it, well, I, I want to do it more. Uh, I also I'm, I live in London and I also don't have a car, um, so. For for a good year and a half, maybe a couple of years, um, any outdoor trips I've done have either been a slightly longer one when me and some friends might rent a car and go and stay somewhere for a week. But that's maybe once or twice a year, if I'm lucky. Um, and other than that, maybe, obviously not now, but uh, maybe once every other month, I might get a chance to, again, I'll, I'll rent a car usually drive to Sheffield, like leave really early in the morning, drive to Sheffield, climb for the whole day and then drive back again and get home in time for dinner. So, so not a lot of outdoor climbing, um, which is a shame because I really do enjoy it. And I kind of view, especially what I'm doing now, which is just like classic basic moves. This is going to apply really well to climbing on rock. So, um, I hope anyway. Um, so <laughs> I, I want to go and do more of this. Um, but um, but I, I I enjoy all aspects of climbing, so I think that also does make it a lot easier. That whilst I might say, "Oh, it's terrible," I don't get to climb out on rock much at all. I really really enjoy climbing indoors and swinging about on big coloured holds and coming up with interesting moves. I think there is definitely an element of it's my comfort zone, and I feel very uh, well physically safe from not falling and hurting myself on a rock to like be more creative and experiment and practice a little bit more. Whereas when I'm climbing on rock, it is very much, Oh, I just need to climb really, really, really well. No messing about or anything. Um, so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't mind the balance so much, but I could probably do with a bit more climbing on rock if I wanted to do some more significant stuff, I think. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, um, a really interesting scenario you have because I think I'm in, in many ways, actually quite similar to you that we both have a niche that we're, we're seen as really good at in a certain kind of niche uh, way of climbing. And we've really, I guess, mastered that style of climbing. And me and you have very different styles of climbing. We 
spent and put a lot of time into getting really good at certain stuff. And when we move outside of that, we'll inevitably see, you know, the grade go down, performance expectations go down, the, the ability for us to apply, you know, strength or fitness will go down. And I always find that there's this really weird balance between having a mindset where you love challenge and you want to kind of continually push yourself, but also being very attuned with this mastery thing because it's so addictive when you really get to master something and you're like, whoa, I am in my groove now. I know this thing. Yeah. And feel yourself getting dragged back into your mastery zone and going, no, come on, get in your uncomfortable zone. Don't get yeah. dragged back. And it's, it's really interesting balance. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, um, no, no, I, I have no idea what I was about to say. No, you carry on, Tom. Sorry. <laughs> so, so when, as you kind of um, see, you know, going forward with your, your climbing over the next five years or so with that kind of balance of indoors versus outdoors, do you think that you, you will maintain that uh, focus on more indoor climbing and going, I love competitions. This is my thing. This is what I get the best reward from. And that focus will remain, or do you think it's a situational thing and it's just based on, you know, lack of car, being in London, your work environment? How, what do you think going forward? Well, I mean, so obviously I'm going to be really focused and training hard for the upcoming Olympics. Uh, they, they haven't sent me my invitation yet, but I assume it's, it's like on its way. So I'm, I'm getting ready for that. Um, <laughs> but no, in, in, in all seriousness, I, I'm actually not that sure. I, obviously, yes, it is entirely situational. Um, but um, I'm I'm trying to sort of like craft my, especially, I don't know if, if other people are finding the same thing, but um, with the, the world changing pandemic, it's been somewhat of an opportunity to almost reset work habits and, uh, and how we approach, and how we approach uh, spending our time. And so I'd love to be able to set up my work balance in a way that I could have more time to pursue training more, uh, with more discipline because I don't have a lot of time to do it in other, other, any, anything else, but like stops and starts. So I quite like just doing it as, okay, well, I'll just climb the stuff I enjoy when I have time. Um, so it'd be really nice to have more time to actually focus a bit more on some more focused training. Um, as for how I'd use that, oh, it's such a tricky question of, oh, do you enjoy, because essentially it's, do you enjoy ticking off a bond that you really like or just being out in the nature or, do you enjoy more being with all your friends and climbing all the fun stuff with the big music and whoa, adrenaline? Um, man, I don't know. I um, I, I was trying to find some way of choosing, but no, I, I really don't think I can. So I think I will always try and, and split my time quite equally. Um, I, I've never been particularly in a position where like there's competitions every single uh, every single day or anything like that. So yeah, if I could go to a, a competition every uh Every other uh, every other week or something, and uh, and climb outdoors and train and stuff. In the meantime, that, that sounds pretty awesome. Um, I don't know if I'd ever f decide to like specialize on one particular thing. Um, I mean, I do, I, I I do, I suppose, specialize a little bit more as it gets nearer to particular events that I'm excited about. Like if um, if there's a particular, if I'm going on, like okay. Um, uh, I had an upcoming trip to Switzerland. I knew there was a project that I wanted to try. So I did a lot less of my more competition style training and a lot more focus on just climbing a lot of projects very similar to the one that I wanted to do. And vice versa, if I've 
uh, if I know there's a competition coming up that I that I am quite excited about, then I might do quite a lot less just single hard projecting. I do quite like doing it. And I might do a bit more of it if it's of a style that I'm not that comfortable with because I want to get a bit more well-rounded. But, um, but I might start doing a lot less of just hard overhanging board climbs and a lot more varied climbing under time pressure and things like that just to get a bit more uh, in the zone for comps. But other than that, I don't think I'll end up specialising much more in any way. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I, 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 it's funny because I was um, as you I, as you were answering that, I was thinking, oh, Louis totally squirming on here, squirming on this. I, I put him on the spot, and he cut, and he's going, I don't know which one I want most. I think I want them all. I just I want to do everything. <laughs> so. Pretty much, man. Yeah. It's. I think um, that's that the the downside, which I'm, I'm well aware of, is that the um, I, I think that's the other half of the phrase. Oh, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, yeah, you you can't you can't you can either be like super good at one thing, or you can be okay at a lot of stuff. And I I quite like doing a lot of stuff, so um, so I don't particularly mind. I think I'll always have that nice niche of, or oh, if a swinging about problem comes up in a comp, that that's going to be mine. Um, but um, but aside from that, I, I actually nowadays I'm like really enjoying exploring, and maybe I'll end up doing this other distance climb, but just within like different styles of boulder problem even. I'm really, really enjoying doing stuff which normally isn't my style. Um, I I wouldn't have expected it when I was younger. I really like slabs. I didn't think I would, but um, I'm I'm quite excited to then diversify a little bit more in outdoor climbing. And um, annoyingly, I still don't feel like I've had a, a competition yet where I climb as well on slabs. So I feel like I'm now capable of doing. Um, so I'll be happier when I start doing that as well. But um, no, I suppose generally my aim is to become a more and more well-rounded climber so that I can do better in all of these different things that I, I enjoy doing. Cool. Well, um, I guess a question that kind of ties in with that and, uh, you know, anyone who's been watching, um, you know, Louis, whether it's on, on video now or listening on podcasts, is that you are a really motivated high energy individual and um i i feel like a kindred spirit in you when i kind of whenever i talk to you on the phone or you know we do something like this i'm like yes it's another person that just seems to go like a hundred miles an hour all the time but i am a really bad all in all out but then a burnout type person as well how do you manage your are you like all the time really high energy or do you have a way of you know, pulling it in or managing it. How do you how do you do it all? I, I feel like um okay, so uh my now that I'm like at home all the time, my housemates notice it as well of oh it Louis looks really busy all the time. Um and like yeah usually when we're like having dinner or watching a movie, I've usually got my laptop just there just in care and occasionally like sending messages and stuff like that. So I think actually over time I've got really weirdly good at just switching back and forth between, and I, I think my partner says she struggles to do this more of, no, 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 if I'm going to work, then I need to get into work mode. I now work for a few hours and then I stop working and I wind down and now I'm not working. Whereas I think I'm weirdly quite happy with just switching between, okay, time to do some work and okay, I'm relaxed again. There we go. Let's just carry on. So, um, so I, I think that helps quite a lot. Um, I, I think over, uh, over the course of the last few years running a business and stuff, I think I've learned to take things a bit less seriously. Um, uh, it, 
there's always like little difficulties to deal with, or there's um, even if there's nothing particularly like bad happening, it's still stressful and it's intense. I think I've kind of learned, oh, well, either I can allow myself to be this stress intense all the time, which doesn't seem like a good way to go about this, or I can start to consciously acknowledge that this isn't necessarily a particularly useful level of stress. And I can maybe try and bring my threshold down a little bit. Um, so, um, so I think it would be those two things of gradually getting used to the intensity and learning. I, I like getting used to a certain level of, of height when you're climbing of going, okay, yeah, this now feels kind of normal. And then just getting more comfortable with just switching back and forth between work mode and not work mode. Um, but the other one for me, which I think would be the main one is, and I assume for you as well, I really like my work. I really like everything that I do on a day-to-day basis. So I'm very, very lucky that the vast majority of it does not feel like work. So it makes it quite easy to carry on plugging away, especially if you take that then that mindset from earlier of, ah, great, a repetitive challenge. Fantastic. This will keep me occupied for a bit. Um, so I think those would be it. How, how about you? How do you manage it? Oh, I'm not sure that I feel like I'm, I don't even know whether I manage it. I feel like I, I flow from one, one thing to another, like a, uh, like a small piece of driftwood on a raging river. Um, and I'm kind of just like, just going with the flow of where stuff has taken me. And, and I, I sort of see it as being like a, I have a high degree of responsibility towards saying right now, the raging river is kind of my fault. I set my life up and my work and my family and my travel and everything up in that way. So I've got to accept that this is how it is. So I've got to be a happy piece of driftwood rolling around all over the place with it and just take that and not just, you know, complain about how I either have a lot on my plate or I've got to try and find a lot of energy every day or that I'm going to have to deal with some stressful situations. And I think it's like you and that same thing of like acknowledging and reflecting on how that, where I am now, how that feels and being just a bit more used to it and and dealing with it. And I, I don't spend a lot of time uh, sort of questioning or going like, why is it me? What woe is me? Why is that stuff going wrong? This is so hard. I don't like this. I don't like that. Even though I could get on the phone to you probably every single day for the next hundred years and I could complain at you about 10 things at the beginning of every day that I am not happy about. Yeah. But I don't let that get into my head too much because that will feel really intimidating to be that driftwood in the raging river. So I'd rather just concentrate on being a happy little piece of driftwood in the raging river and keep going. Such a good way of putting it, man. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, guys, so it's, um, well, you just have to, yeah, basically just keep going, putting one foot in front of the other, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So where do you think, um, in the broadest sense here, so sort of moving out from where Louis is right now, um, where do you think climbing is going? I'm so Mexico? worried that is what you asked before, and I just took it as this, oh, well, let me tell you all about me. Um, is that what you asked before? <laughs> no, it was oh, actually about you. <laughs> okay, um, so climbing in general. Well, yeah. uh, okay, so obviously we're going to have, well, it's now been delayed because the Olympics hasn't happened yet, but I assume a pretty big growth. I mean, already climbing is exploding in terms of popularity and there's more climbing centers being built all the time. Um, 
but I assume with the Olympics piling on top of that, there's then going to be a huge wave of people now interested in climbing, um, which oh, it's hard to imagine where it's going to go because there's so many different things that will start changing about it. Because I, I think for the last, uh, let, let's say the last 50 years or, um, yeah, the last 50 years or so, as climbing started emerging as a competitive sport and there started being prize money even, even since that started, climbing has not changed a huge amount in terms of, how much money is involved and the ethics around it and all this sort of stuff. And I wonder, I wonder how complicated it might be when climbing can actually become, I imagine if you got paid as much for climbing as you did for becoming a footballer um, or something like that. I, I wonder how um, that would change people's motivations or would it mean that everyone just gets a lot better at climbing? I, who knows? Cause I think that's the other interesting thing we're going to see is that We've seen pretty incredible developments in ability in climbing within quite a select, not a select, but just at least smallish group of people in, in the grand scheme of how many people could be climbing. That's quite a small talent pool if we just look at the people who've climbed so far. If we suddenly had this huge growth in popularity where instead of it being quite uncommon that someone's into climbing, it's as common to climb as it is to play football, I imagine the level of things that we see done over the over the future will, will be pretty incredible, especially with coaching developing and there being more research behind it and there being more money involved in the training and the national teams. There's like a lot of positives that I'm really excited about. Um, and um, sorry, I, I kicked the dog out earlier for being too noisy. And now she's like snuffling at the door trying to get back in. I'm just going to ignore her. Um, so um, yeah, I, I suppose the negative that a lot of people think about is um, outdoors climbing. And already we see loads of um, we see loads of evidence of how uh, whilst people might worry for the future of this huge growth in popularity, and now there's thousands of people going to the crags and all this sort of stuff. Even with the numbers going now, it's clearly not good. Um, there's already you know huge changes to the environment around certain locations. There's I mean Magic Woods, Hampi, all these other places that. Are, not doing that well from climbing tourism, it then I think becomes a much more complicated issue of not, okay, well, all the new climbers can't climb there or something, some stupid arbitrary rule like that, but uh, it has to be like much, much better education about how we how we treat these areas. Because I think a, a lot of us, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily realize how guilty I've been of some of this stuff in the past. And I, I've gone to loads of places and just not realizing, oh, this is the main path, that slight little shortcut. It's not just a slight little shortcut. You're going to long-term massively mess the place up if everyone starts doing this. And so I think um, the way we start treating the outdoor areas needs to be orders of magnitude more careful than we have at the moment. But aside from that, I think it's all it's all pretty positive. It's um, we're, we're all going to have all these cool new people climbing with us. We're going to be able to go to bigger events. We're going to get to see it on the BBC more often. I think it's mostly good stuff. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I think I feel relatively similar to, you know, the points that you've raised so far and, you know, in the last five minutes. But I also think that um, I feel like there is a missing part of the the development of the sport, which feels like it's really lagged in the last, I don't know, I feel like it's something like three to five years in that. I think we're not dealing well enough as a sport. I'm, I'm going to talk just for the UK because I have a little bit of impact with it in the US, but I just don't go there quite enough to get involved with commercial gyms out there. But I don't think that we're bringing through 
a big enough group a group and sort of section of grassroots uh, junior squads teams and consistency in that coaching and support and mentoring and access part of it i feel like it's very very good in that sort of 18 and above age where people are more you know self-reliant and they just go on the wall pay their entry start getting involved with climbing watch stuff on the internet everything like that but that younger group aside from like a national team and like and there are some you know there's some junior squads i know that you have a junior squad down in london there's occasional pretty decent uh, junior squads around the uk yeah i feel like we should be looking at the uk and going there are a thousand plus kids in very very good hands right now and there just isn't yeah yeah i think absolutely right when you look at the scale of um well, like you say, how, how just in the US, for example, how um, how the youth teams and the national youth leagues operate, and I think even the like the national youth league qualifiers and regional championships end up on ESPN sometimes. Like even that is a pretty a pretty big um, big thing to watch. And every gym has really well organized teams with multiple levels of development. They all go to these like pretty well-organized series of competitions over the year. It's, yeah, it's quite different from the setup we have here. Um, lots of gyms do have usually a, a, some kind of a junior team, I think, but um, I don't know if it's anywhere near what we see in the US, like you say, yeah. Um, uh, I think it needs more um, investment and resource going into it. Yeah. And I, I see it that, uh, and I talk to gym owners quite a bit, is that I think they they struggle with the economy and the kind of the financial layout and the structuring of, of these, this junior uh, layout. And this is where it's kind of getting a bit stunted unless you can start to have big national gov- governing body money come in right at the bottom at that junior level and massively structure it. Maybe that's the difference. Cause now you mentioned it, I can't think of a junior team that like working for a climbing center or my junior, junior team, I can't think of a junior team that I know of which operates in a way that makes the company or the climbing center that runs it profit in any way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I run it exactly at cost. And yeah, that means that it's it's hard to do much more. If you're running a climbing center without a huge amount of funds to put towards it, then yeah, you only ever spend money running a junior team, which is, like you say, not an easy way to, to have it develop into something better. No, no, it's gonna... So yeah, that's, that's my... I suppose. Sorry? That'll be one of the benefits, I suppose, if we're getting more more interest and potentially more finance finance into climbing. Then yeah. Yeah, hopefully, it goes hopefully, to the yeah, hopefully it will will change with time. And uh, you know, hopefully uh, you know, me, me, you, other coaches in the UK can have some positive impact back into that with with time. Um okay, no, another awkward, not awkward, but um difficult uh sort of question um or a topic which I think needs to be addressed and um uh, we spoke about this just short you know quickly before we yeah. started this um podcast was that back last year there was a a big uh, sort of impact a big footprint digitally so you know across the internet across the new news media um with the BLM movement and i saw a lot of people putting out a lot of content that was very pro BLM at the time and you were one of these people that really kind of got involved, stuck your neck out and really took some action in terms of using your platform, 
um, to essentially make louder the voices of other people yeah. who were supporting and um, pushing and creating this BLM movement, and especially back within climbing. But what really impressed with me, and it pretty much stands out as being one of the very, very few people that have done this now, is that you've stayed consistent with this. Can you tell me a bit about what, why did you, what made you push so hard into that originally and what's kept you consistent? Because I think that really stands out because a lot of people did the easy thing. They posted up some black squares. They said some good stuff for about a week and then I never heard anything else. Why are you different? So, um, uh, okay. So I think initially as I learned, yeah, but like you say that it, it, was suddenly a very significant thing on social media, which is, I suppose, the, the first real understanding I had of the scale of what systemic racism meant. Um, I then, uh, as I think a lot of people did, started reading more about it, and I started understanding a lot more than I, I thought. I, I, to be clear, I didn't. I wasn't like racist before all this stuff went on or anything, but I, I thought I was fairly well educated. And I, I knew this stuff, and then the more I read into it, and the more I understood about what was going on, I realised the depths of what white privilege and systemic racism mean. And, um, and yeah, I, I then started thinking about how I would be able to best use my white privilege to benefit more diverse groups and people who don't have so much white privilege. And I would view myself as someone who I'm born into a, a middle-class family. I'm, I'm white, I'm male. I live in, I live in the UK. I, I have a lot of, a lot of privilege in just those things. And one of the things which I've been able to build with with my privileges is a cool Instagram platform with uh, with lots and lots of followers. And so I think again, I was I was reading lots about it. And whilst I and I did at first, I started like I was leading some discussions, and I was we talked like on my Instagram stories, we had a big long discussion about the Winston Churchill statue, and we talked about the Forty Towers episode, and we talked about some really interesting stuff. And I really enjoyed that, and I really like having these discussions. Um, I think it's good because maybe that's relatable for lots of my followers because they know me. But then at the same time, I realized surely a much better way to use this platform is to amplify the things which, I mean, yeah, I'm learning all this stuff from other accounts that I follow and from books that I'm reading and, and all this stuff. So surely a much better way of doing this, instead of me getting more publicity from posting all about this stuff, then no, 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 no. I'm supposed to hand it over to somebody else. And then, and then it amplifies what they're doing, which was, the whole aim of it. So yeah, as I said before the call, it feels like the first useful thing I've, I've done with my platform uh, ever. Um, it's nice posting videos of dinos and stuff, but this feels like a, a genuine positive impact that I can make. And I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy to be able to do it. Um, like I say, it feels like, um, feels like I'm, I'm very lucky to, to have this platform in the first place. And so it feels like the bare minimum I can do is, is share it and allow it to be used this way. So, um, so yeah, that, that's mostly it really. Yeah, and what keeps you consistent with it? Like, I know I've, I don't, I don't want to kind of like overstate this, but I really, I think it really stands out because it was, it was easier back last year when it was topical to do mm -hmm. this stuff. Now it is not easy. It's becoming, it's coming back to that status quo where we were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. What, what is there at that core value? I'm really, I'm really interested in it because I love these things that stand out to me. So, um, I think part of it is that whilst there has been like some, um, negative response to it, mostly 
uh, people have messaged me saying how much it means to them that they're seeing this on an account that they follow or or even better sometimes when people say i hadn't realized until i heard this i didn't know about this person until they're on your platform i didn't know of that viewpoint until i heard um until i heard them talking about it and i've now changed my mind um so seeing those i'm like well clearly this is this is a good thing to be doing. I mean, maybe it's the same challenge thing as before, that when I get a negative response, I'm like, oh, that's a micro failure. And then when I have like other people saying, oh, I changed my mind, I'm like, way that positive, it's that cycle again. Um, so I think it's partly seeing that it's it's had at least some positive impact. Um, and also I think there is a, a good deal of, of knowledge that, yeah, the, uh, the standard trap that I'm really trying not to fall into is that cycle of, seeing a horrible a horrible thing and having an emotional response, talking about how horrible it is, telling everyone how horrible it is, and then gently lapsing back into apathy until the next horrible thing happens. And then the whole cycle starts again. So um, I, I don't want to fall into that trap. So I'm trying to, um, to keep it as consistent as I can. Um, the difficulties I've had with it though, are then that um, there, there are a lot of a lot of causes that that we should post about online. Um, I and I, I've thought all this stuff through as well. So I'm I'm quite content and, and and happy with sticking with diversity within climbing is a lane that I can be really impactful in, and one that I'm I climb a lot and I work in the climbing industry. It's something I know more about. Some, someone was giving me a hard time once on Instagram saying, "Ah." Oh, climbers and diversity is this really the biggest thing you could be talking about what about the education system what what about this what about what about china and slavery and all the horrible things going on in the world and i, I sort of thought it all through going yeah man i do feel bad about all those things you're right maybe i should post about that but eventually was no this is the area that i can actually make a difference in and so far i've seen i'm making a difference in um so um so yeah mostly it's a combination of that of not wanting to become apathetic about it and seeing that it's doing some good um I um I want to start including more diversity and having more power climbers and um and um and some transgender climbers coming on as well. Um but um but I'm at least wanting to keep it consistent. I'll do these as regularly as I can. I wish I was doing them every Tuesday. So I started off doing them every Tuesday. Now if I'm lucky I do it once a month, but I'm I'm gonna try and keep it as consistent as I can. Yeah, I mean I, I think it's it's really cool. It's really, really awesome. Thanks, man. Um and um as, as I said before, I think it it really sticks out. And you know, know from my perspective that if something now is particularly hard to do and really stands out, that actually means your impact is even more significant now because it's not it's noticeable and it stands out from other stuff. And I and I think that's really good. And you know, I, I'll always say this that anyone who actually gets into, you know, a niche, focuses down, sticks to their path and does something consistently through, will have an impact and will win through with whatever change they're trying to make, whether it's with themselves or with others, what you know, whatever that might be. And that's a, a sort of tried and tested method in life that works. And as you said, you know, there, there are a lot of problems out there. And if you, Louis, were trying to deal with all 15 or how many there are, yeah. All at once, you're going to be so diversified with not enough energy, not enough focus to be able to do all of them that actually, I think, personally, I still argue that it's better to pick something to be effective on, make yeah. an impact and go for it. Because, yeah, there is only one human behind every human, you know. Exactly, man. That's yeah, really cool. Well, um, 
Thanks so much for, uh, you know, spending uh, an hour with me chatting about all things climbing and performance and stuff like that. And it's been, again, just nice getting to know a bit more about you behind, you know, the the, the cut-loosing, um, <laughs> campusing maniac from down in London. Um, <laughs> I hope everyone's enjoyed listening as well. well it was an absolute pleasure, Tom. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I'll, um, yeah, I'm excited to listen to the coming episodes. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, no problem at all. And last thing is, um, where can people find you on socials? What's your your handles and stuff like that? Ooh, um, so uh, best one to find me at is on Instagram. If you search for Captain Cutloose, uh, that's my Instagram handle. Um, I'm not really on Facebook much. And I've got a YouTube channel coming out soon, actually. But for now, keep, keep an eye on the Instagram, Captain Cutloose, and, uh, and I'll see you all there. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks so much for that, Louis.